there are seasons in life, in this journey of ours, that we, there are times that we find ourselves in a wilderness place. And there are things for us to learn in these wilderness places of life. I think of the wilderness as a tough time. And some of us, we may find ourselves uh, there in relation to relationships that we have. Others of us, it may be something more connected to our career or some of the things that are happening at the workplace or, or the fact that we need a job. It, it may be our health. It may be a, something with our own walk with God, that there's, there's a real period of struggle and, 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 and some doubts that are happening and we're having a hard time trusting the Lord. And things feel dry, and it's hard, and it's not easy. In these wilderness places, God has things to teach us. There are, there are ways to negotiate difficult places in life that actually, by the time we're done, we've grown, and our faith has expanded and been enlarged, not diminished by what we've went through, as bad as it is. So I've learned now to, to not completely um, you know, just be angry when things are hard. Because frequently in these hard places where we're wrestling to keep a good attitude is where the Lord shows up in, in amazing ways in our life. And things, listen, can be broken in us. Uh, things can be renewed. Uh, areas are burned away. Other things are brought to life. God can do this dynamically if we're open. And so we look at Israel as we come to this uh, key piece here in, this, in the 17th chapter of Exodus. One of the things we are aware of is they've, they've left Egypt. And we must understand to appreciate what we're about to look at, uh, this, was, this is going to be an incident that gets their attention because they weren't expecting it. The, the Israelites had been, the, the descendants of Israel, the descendants of Jacob, had been delivered in a mighty way um, out of Egyptian slavery. God had raised up Moses. We talked about this. We've been looking at this in and out for the past you know, months, months, many months, all the way back to the fall when we talked about the call of Moses of last year. And we've been, we've been sitting with this and this whole idea of how God wanted to set his people free. And they got free. And one of the things we talked about was that Red Sea moment when they were brought to the Red Sea and it looked like they were entrapped. And Pharaoh had changed his mind and he was pursuing them. And it's, there was this, this feeling on the part of the, the children of Israel that Moses had led them into a place where they were about to be overwhelmed by now Pharaoh's uh, charging chariots that were on their way to consume them. And they, 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 they felt, I think legitimately so, that their, their very lives were in peril. Some of them would be taken back, enslaved, re-enslaved. Others assumed that they would just be massacred. And it looked like that could happen. But we know that God did an amazing thing. He delivered them. And what's more, and to, go, and to, really, and to think about it, in, in moments where we feel extraordinary, extraordinarily threatened, in those moments there is this adrenaline rush that kind of you know, fight or flight syndrome that, we, that, that often is talked about, the, the, the chemical reaction in the body when you feel like you're in peril and you're panicking. And Israel went from that moment to a moment of deliverance where they, not only did they pass across the barrier of the Red Sea in, in a miraculous way, but then to watch the, the, the chasing chariots, the vaunted chariots of Pharaoh literally perish in those waters. It, they went from absolute fear to complete elation. And it was an astonishing, euphoric moment for them. To, to, they, they began to sing. They, they wrote songs. They began to dance on the shore of the Red Sea because they had literally gone from death to life. And one of the things that happens, the reason I'm saying this is because one of the things that happens is that for the first time, as they watched what had transpired, they realized that their past was truly behind them. Never again would they have to fear the army of Pharaoh. Pharaoh was behind them. And it looked like now it's just a matter of making our journey to the place of promise. 
and things that were, you know, more challenging for them were their basic necessities. You know, are we, how are we going to eat? About our water. So they, they asked God, they, they wanted, they got manna, bread from heaven. We talked about that, the water. Last week, we talked about how God provided them water. So again, their assumption is we're on our way to the promised land. God's done an amazing deliverance. Pharaoh's behind us. We don't have to worry about things in, re, in, re, in relation to just being, you know, attacked. And lo and behold, the Bible tells us something happens that they were not anticipating, that catches them completely off guard. That's what we see here in Exodus 17. Let's look at this together. Verse number 8. It says that while the people were still at Rephidim, I'm going to move through the passage because there's some things I'd like to, to have us engage. And, but I want to explain what we've, we were reading together. It says, while the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Now, the tribal nation, just quickly, the tribal nation of Amalek was in actuality, um, a distant relatives of the Israelites. This, they were, if you, you can trace them to descendants of, as they were descendants of Esau. Esau was the brother of Jacob, Israel. Uh, hence, there were distant relatives. And yet, the Amalekites saw them as a threat and were told that they were uh, concerned uh, to such a degree that they, fearing the descendants of Jacob, uh, that they attacked them. And, as, and, and, and when they did that, they destroyed any illusion that, that Israel might have had, that they were going to just have an easy way towards the promised land, the land of promise. And we, and we read, we read on. It says that Moses then commanded Joshua to do something. He says, commanded them to, to choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek. Now, in Deuteronomy, and I put this as a parallel piece here, and there's a reason for it. Just stay with me on this. Deuteronomy is the last book of what is known as the Pentateuch, the five books that open up the Old Testament, the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the, the end of it. Forty years pass between pretty much when Israel gets the promised land and when they are given an opportunity to re-enter it. At the end of Deuteronomy, Moses is nearing the end of his life. He is going to give his final words. Deuteronomy, say it again. He begins to retell their history, begins to rehearse the things that they've agreed to as they are on the precipice of entering to the promised land. Moses does that. He goes back in time and he refers in one specific point to this incident that we're about to look at more closely. And he gives us an additional detail that I want us just to be able to, to understand and, and appreciate as we read through the passage. Because in Deuteronomy 25, Moses says this. He says, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. That's what we're about to look at. He says, and how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks. So we're told the way in which the attack came was that the attack came on their rear ranks. It says all the stragglers who were at your rear, the weak, the infirm, those who weren't keeping up, those were the ones that got picked off first, he says. He says, and remember, he says, when you were tired and when you were weary, that is when he did, he did this. He did not fear God. So the, Moses makes it pretty clear that what the, the method of attack that Israel, first Israel probably wasn't even aware that they were being attacked. And then all of a sudden it becomes apparent that they're, they're being engaged in, a, in some degree of battle as some of, as some of the people in the back of the, of the movement of the mass of people that are making their way on this journey are being attacked. So they attack the weakest place first on the back end, the rear and so that's what we need to keep in mind. Go back to verse number nine. And it says that Moses commanded Joshua, well, this is what I want you to do. Choose some men, go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow, the next day, when we will do this. And the implied here is that the Lord has instructed me. I will stand at the top of the hill, holding the staff of God in my hand. Now, remember that staff is very important. And it's going to be also something that we need to appreciate again. 
that that staff was something that was originally called not the, the rod of God. It was, it was the staff of Moses. It was Moses was a shepherd in the wilderness Sinai when he was first engaged by God at that burning bush. Remember at that burning bush is when God, and that, and that God told him to throw down his staff, that, that, that wood that he had become so um, connected to, if I can put it that way. That staff for him would have been something that over the years he had been accustomed to. Some cases, if, if it was a hard enough wood, it would actually over time fit the grip of a person, of a shepherd. It was not only a, a weapon for a shepherd in the wilderness, but it was also, for which he could defend himself, but it was also something that could give him balance um, as they were you know, negotiating difficult terrain, it, it became almost an extension of his own arm. And when the Lord says, throw down your staff, and it, and it changed and he, to a serpent, he picked it back up and it became whole again. It was almost like the Lord was saying, this very thing that you have trusted, I want you to now trust me with. What is your strength? What do you rely upon? Now that staff became for Moses something indispensable. In fact, it becomes something that God uses as a symbol of his power. Because what happens is, remember when he goes to Egypt and confronts Pharaoh, and again, I'm just going to go through this very quickly. He takes that staff, and it is that staff that he, he uses to confront Pharaoh with. It represents the power of God when the, when the plagues occur. It's the staff that God says, I want you to reach out the staff, that rod, and I want you to hold it and then spread it out over the Red Sea. It was the same staff that, when, that God said, when the, when the, I want you to take that staff, and I want you to strike the rock, and out of it will come the water. That's the staff. It's, it's something that he's familiar with. God says, I want you to go up to, a, to the hill the next day, and as you do battle, I want you to hold that staff up before the people. So this is, this is what we're being told. And it says that, that uh, it, the command was given to Joshua. Now, by the way, just parenthetically here, jo this is the first time Joshua is ever mentioned. Joshua becomes a very preeminent figure in the scriptures. He is the one who is not only going to become Moses' attendant, He's going to become the first general leader, military leader of Israel. He's also going to be the one that leads the children of Israel into the promised land when Moses dies. He's the next leader. In fact, the sixth book of the Old Testament is the book of Joshua. And it, it, it tells us about how they go into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. But the, this is, again, the first time that we see Joshua is being told, because they had no, they had no trained military. Uh, basically, Moses says, Joshua, you take those who can, and you, we are going to defend ourselves. And I want you to cre organize this group into a defense, into a military unit, and we're going to do battle with the Amalekites. And he says, and I'm going to go up, on, on, as the Lord has instructed me, up onto the hill, and I will stand and watch below as, you, as this battle engage, is engaged. That's the picture we're given. And we're told one additional detail. Look at this. It says that, so Joshua did what Moses had commanded, and he fought the army of Amalek, Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur. So we're now told that Moses didn't go up to the mountain, the hill, alone. He actually is accompanied by two others. One of them is uh, Aaron. Aaron is Moses' older brother. Now, Moses is old. Aaron's older, all right? <laughs> and then there's Hur. And Hur is, is, according to Jewish tradition, is, was married to... Uh, Moses' sister Miriam, therefore, would have been Moses' brother-in-law. So these, we see this, these, these two elders, these, these close confidants of Moses, walking up with him to, to, the, to the hill as, the, as they prepare to engage Amalek below. And this is the picture that we're given. And we're told that, that something remarkable occurs, that people have pondered its significance, those who study the scriptures for, for generations now, because something unique occurs. In, and we read about it in verses 11 and 12. Look what it says. It says, as long as Moses held up the staff... 
in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever, look, whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. So as long as Moses could hold, whether it was with his you know, one hand or I think at a certain point holding two, and Moses was, was old, but he was vigorous. He was, a vig- he was strong. And he's holding up, and you can see Moses on the hill, and as he's holding, it's like this, there's something about either the symbol of it or the fact that he was praying, and they were seeing that prayer taking place, and the symbol of God's power with them, they prevailed. But it says that when Moses would get tired, he would drop his arm, and when he dropped his arm, the, the, the people did not prevail. And so this interesting thing of, of what was happening down below, dependent on Moses' hands holding up the rod. And finally, Aaron and Hur do something, because they realized that, that what was going on. Look what it says they did. And Moses' arms soon became so tired that he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone. So they, they pulled a stone, right? And they, they rolled it underneath Moses. They said, just sit down, right? And so you see Moses sitting on a stone. And then they, it says they held up each one of them. On each side decides, we're going to just hold your arms up. And so you have Moses holding the rod, sitting on a rock with the, the two others holding up his hands, and it says that they did this until sunset, and finally, at that time, Israel prevailed. That's the picture we're given. In fact, it says in verse, what is it, uh, 13, as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. And then after the victory, something else occurs. And, and by the way, this was the first time they had ever had to actually defend themselves, right? Up until this point, God had done everything for them. Every victory, everything was sort of a miracle. But this is the first time when they actually had to engage, and actually be a participant. Yes, it was God's power, but they were participating in it. They actually had to defend themselves. They had to organize themselves and defend themselves. And so this is something new that's going on. And it says, as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Verse 14, and after the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, I want you to write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. And I will blot out the memory of Amalek. But here's the thing. The reason we have the scriptures The reason we have a record of what occurred is because of this command. They wrote down the things that occurred. That's very important. We would not have a Bible, uh, certainly not an Older Testament, if this had not transpired. And it was important from the Lord's standpoint that they document what happened. And so as they did that, we're also told that Moses does something else. And again, I want to say these things and look at them because I want us to go somewhere with them. But look what else it says. It says that not only did they write it down, but verse 15, which can easily be missed, it says Moses built an altar there. An altar would have been, you know, it was a a pile of stones, but it wasn't just a random pile of stones. It was was something that, that could be like a marker. We would almost call it, like, it was like a, a, a way of, of putting a statue or something that would symbolize a victory that occurred here. And Moses stops and he says, we need, to, we need to mark this moment. We need to honor this moment. And we will build an altar under the Lord. And, what we will, and, we will, and he says, and we will call it a name. And this name means something. He says, we will call this, this Yahweh Nasi, which in the, is a Hebrew, it means the Lord is our banner. This is what we will say. This is, this is the marking place where God did this. The Lord is our banner. Now, we'll come back to this. It means something. It's not insignificant. The name had a, a rationale. Now, that brings us to this place here. Because what I've been wanting us to do, and I pray by the grace of God we will do this, is to take this passage from the Older Testament and apply it to us in, in, as, as people who are 
um, living to follow Christ or following Jesus, some of us have been doing this for a long time, and um, we have certain challenges that are connected to that. Others of us, we've just begun. And this will be extraordinarily helpful for some of us because it will remind us of certain principles. And so under the banner of PowerPoints for the Christian life, if I can put it that way, we'll start with noting a couple of things that will apply, I hope, to us. And just, again, they're just designed for us. To, they're like handles for us or hooks for us to hang something on. So we're going to hang principles along the way and draw from what we've just read and say, how can this apply to us? Now, let me, let me just state something from the very outset. First thing to note, very important for all of us to be aware of this. The power, when it comes to this Christian life, the power of opposition, the power of resistance, the power of opposition. There, you know, I, I, when we, again, Israel learned firsthand that just because they had been freed from Egypt in an amazing way, just because they had been given a new lease on life, just because they had come through something and were now making their way into promise, they realized very quickly that they were still um, going to have challenges that, were going, that they were going to have to deal with to get to where they were going. They had to deal with real opposition. There, there was real resistance. There was real opposition to them. There were real, listen, there were real enemies lurking, and they began to understand that after this incident, that this was, this was going to be something that they were going to need to be aware of. And at a spiritual level, if I can make this, and Jesus taught us this, the Apostle Paul clearly teaches us in the Scriptures, that at a spiritual level, for a follower of the Lord, there, there is going to be, if we are seeking to move forward, there is going to be opposition and resistance. We cannot make progress with, with an easy way. It doesn't work that way. Not in, Jesus was tell, said, it is not, this is not how it works. Not when we're dealing with some of the things we begin to touch. One of the things that happens is, as we begin to move further on, we begin to realize that any time we really want to move forward with God, Anytime we really want to move forward boldly, courageously, humbly, resolutely, that we are going to experience some degree of resistance. There are going to be times where that resistance comes from our past. It comes from things that are, are behind us. Again, interestingly enough, Israel felt free from their past at some level. They had, come free, they had been set free. They had come through a baptism, the Red Sea. They had begun to move forward to places of promise, and all of a sudden, they're having to deal with things. Things are coming at them. You know, one of the things that happens when a person begins just follow Christ, and this happens a lot, is that there's this initial period of euphoria. There's like, you know, I, I, like a whole world opens up, and it's hard to explain, but Paul says something about it in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you know, he is a new creation. This person is a new creation. You know, all things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And when we begin to see, when faith arises in us, it's almost like we see the same things, but we see them very differently. And there's a whole other world. We begin to look at the world. There's a spiritual realm that we begin to, to begin to grapple with. And we begin to realize, wow, there's more going on here than just what appears. And God's word is alive. And he's speaking and he's moving. And it's, it's kind of like the, the love of God is like the wind. I, I, his presence is near me. I, mean, I, can, I can't even see it, but I feel I can feel the different things change. I see things different. I see things inside of me different. But as you begin to move on, what happens is inevitably, this is, this is always a challenge for a younger believer, there comes these moments where that growth, that faith, that life in God gets challenged. And it begins to run into problems. Um, it, it can be, you know, it's interesting. In Israel's case, it was people who probably should have been their natural allies, if you think about it. 
uh, they were distant relatives, and yet there was an attempt. They, that's where the, in that case, that's where their attack came from. For people, and again, that, that, to me, that represents people who we might have sometimes think would, would sympathize and support what's happening in our life. Other times, it has to do with things of our past. Uh, there are spiritual dynamics that begin to occur. Uh, you know what? This is real. Progress will be challenged. Faith is going to run into difficulty. There are times where we are going to then get to decide how deep our roots are going to be. When, it, when, it's, when we're running and it's easy and everything's great and I'm loving it and this is good, and then all of a sudden, wow, you know, something happens. And it's like, this is, wow, this is hard. This is getting really hard. Boy, this is hard. This is very hard. This is harder than I thought it was going to be. And I'm not even sure I want to do that. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And we get to these places where when we're younger and, and our faith is just beginning to grow. But you know what? It has to happen. We have to confront difficulty. It can't just be feeling. Jesus said that seed that is planted when it just grows up, if it's only got a, if it doesn't have a real root system, when the sun hits, Jesus said in the parable of the sower, he says what happens is that, that growth, it, it's, it's literally burned out. The, the, the trials of life, burn it out. The cares of life, burn it out. It doesn't have the root developed root system. And so we're always contending here for when we make a decision to follow Jesus to continue to attend to the things that allow our root systems to grow. To remember that our strength, it's not a feeling-based strength. Feelings come and go. Feelings fluctuate. I like to say this. Happiness is often contingent on what happens to us. But faith in Christ, when we have a real growing relationship with the Lord, it is a vital thing that has deep roots, and it can endure. It can endure. It can survive the sun beating down. It can survive lean times. It can survive doubting times. It can survive uh, times of great disappointment. It can't because it, it is grown. It's matured. It's strengthened. It's got beyond the feeling realm. Feeling's good, but it, 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 I, feelings come and go. I'm a big believer in worshiping God with my emotion. I do. I, you know, that's what I, I love to do it. I love God, right? I, I, but, the, but you know what? At the end of the day, it's got to have something more than just I feel it. There has to be a commitment. There needs to be a strength. There's a fiber that God wants to develop. And so I'm trying to, so I'm trying to establish that there are going to be times where we are going to need to move through hard places in this journey of faith. Don't let anybody sell us a bill of goods. Jesus said, look, look, he says, listen, it, it, listen to me. It's almost, it's what you, in this world, he says, you will have tribulation. He tells this to his disciples. He says, if you follow me, you will have some seasons of tribulation. There will be times when you have to bear a cross. Now, you double-check that before you sign on. He says, but I've also tell you this. I'm not selling. I'm also telling you this. I will be with you always, and you will have my joy. It's a joy that, that is beyond description. It can fill your life. And I will not leave you nor forsake you. I am with you always, even into the end of this age. But, but he did not pretend that we would not be challenged to grow. Now, look at, one more time, look back at the Deuteronomy verse, real quick, just real quick, because notice what it says. When they were attacked, where were they attacked? They were attacked at their weakest places. It was in the rear. It was with the stragglers. It was the ones that were less likely to be attached. Uh, when the attack came, it came, listen, and there's a, there's a, there's a lesson here for any of us, all of us, because all of us have weak points. Not a one of us here who's following the Lord does not have areas of vulnerability. We all, if the right buttons are pushed, 
are capable of doing what Peter thought he could never do. We can fall. It is possible. It happens. We do it regularly. We do it in different ways. Listen, we have weak areas that are vulnerabilities. One of the keys to growing in the Lord is learning how to be aware of and compensate for, to build a, a reliable defense system for our weaknesses so that we can soar with our strengths and gifts in God. It is a crucial key issue. Here are the areas where when the enemy comes around into my life, the, the places where I falter is this area. And so if I'm aware of that weak place, then I need to let the Lord teach me and train me how to, how to build systems or ways of being in my life that allow me to have a degree of safety. In other words, being aware of our weaknesses, there are certain places where we go. If we go, we will betray, we, we can betray the things that we, we love we can break commitments. We can violate our own integrity before God. We become weak, and we know it. We cannot go there. And the Lord, listen, and notice, what does it say that, that they were attacked? When, when they were what? It says when they were weak and tired and weary. And I thought, wow, Lord, how many times do we wander into traps in life? We didn't mean to. We weren't looking for it. But you know what? We got sloppy. And we sort of were, were tired, worn down, beaten down, stretched out, stressed out, feeling a lot of pressure emotionally. We were, we were hurting, perhaps. Um, but we find ourselves getting into a place where we are very, we're very vulnerable and we do foolish things. Now, that is something that God wants to teach us how to build a defense system in our lives so that we can prevail. That's part of the... It is real, though. It is real. There, it, this is no game. And Jesus talked about it himself. Now, that leads me to the second piece here. The second, we'll just call it the second PowerPoint. And that is this, the power of, of prayer and action. And you see both of these things happening here when you see Moses lifting up his hands. I mean, some, you know, again, we understand in some ways prayer, the seeking of God's will and strength, is an indispensable component of, of the overcoming spiritual life. I mean, I think all of us understand, at least in theory, that prayer is important, right? Prayer, that we, we can't really grow as a follower of the Lord without prayer. Pray, but you know, and it's not always just praying for a long time. And that there are no, there is something to be said about praying. I mean, still to this day, in my mind, I can remember my grandfather, who really affected my life. And one of the things I have, one of my lasting memories of my grandfather, who was a spiritual mentor to me, he taught me how to, he he taught me how to love the Lord. He he really did. He was not a perfect man, but he loved God honestly, and and he was committed. And I one of the, my lasting memories of him as an older man, which is when I really got to know him was I was always amazed at how he could pray. I mean, he could pray for long times. I'd walk into a room, and I'd see him draped over a chair, just kind of praying away. Lord, and he'd be praying for people. He'd be praying for the church. He'd be praying for the future. He'd be listening. He'd be mulling over the word. He'd, and he could do it for a long time. And I was always, again, I thought of, I thought of, I thought of Moses holding up the rod. The rod. I thought about, and I thought, you know, Lord, there are times when we need, people just need to pray and, and pray for one another and be prayed for and listen for your voice and sit with your word and not be in a hurry. But you know what? There's also a thing to just praying in our dailiness of our lives. We get up. We say, thank you, Lord, for this day. Sometimes I find myself just walking along the way, and I just say, you know, Lord, I'm so grateful. I love you, Lord. I bless you. I, I thank you. What a promise. What a Savior. What a God. Or sometimes I'll say, Lord, I'm stuck. I'm really stuck. I don't know what to do here. I need you. I need you to show up. I need you to show up. I, I, I'm concerned. I have, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what to do. Or Lord, I pray for my friend. 
I pray for my brother. I pray for him. I pray for him. Lord, I, I feel like they're, they're in trouble. I pray. I, I ask you to help them. Help them prevail, Lord. See, the, the thing is, you know what the, the older commentators used to say? That if Israel had just, um, you know, fought and not prayed, they would have been, in a sense, exercising a kind of self-reliance. If they had just prayed and not fought, you know, what would, what would that have actually done? It would have been presumption. So they said in either case, it's not either or, it's both and. It's, it's praying, it's taking our cares and concerns to God and listen, and then it's actually setting things in place, doing, doing something about it. So that it's not, it's not like, oh, well, you know, God will take, you know, God, I love this because there's a combination. It's like we ch- bring the Lord into it, but also begin to be open to doing something. It's both and, not either or. Thirdly, and it's very closely related to this, notice one more thing here. And again, I, as I looked at it, I was thinking about it. You know, actually, before we even get to that, I want to point this out. There was a moment where, and I think it illustrates this as well, there was a moment in the life of Jesus when he was interacting with Peter. Stay with me on he, he, Peter assumed that he was ex- exceptionally capable of uh, enduring through um, anything. He, he said, Lord, I'll be with you to the end. Anybody, everybody else is going to fail, fail you, but I will not. Because you know what? I know me. And I know that I, will, I am loyal to you. And I love you. And I will not deny. Basically, I am there. The one thing, everybody else will be, I will not. Now, you know what? Jesus turns to him. And this is going to connect to the two things we alluded to. He turns to him. And in one of the great moments in Luke 22, he says this. He says, look, Simon, do you, Simon, this is on the night of his betrayal. He says, Simon, Simon, listen to me. This is no joke. This is no game. There are spiritual forces at work here that you have no clue of. Do you understand what is about to hit? Do you understand the level of intensity that is going to be thrown at? You do not, my friend. Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. Literally, when, you, when wheat, it's like the, the word there is to tear something apart from itself like separating the wheat and the shell. It is literally, he wants to tear you up from the inside out. But he says, but listen to me. I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. And when, that your faith would not fail you. And when you have returned to me, listen, that implies a lot of things. You are about to get hit in a way that you do not, see, you do not, and I draw strength from this, you do not know yourself. You do not, you think you know, but you don't know. And the level of spiritual warfare that you're about to move into, you are not prepared for it. And I'll tell you right now, you need, you, more than you know, I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you to come through this and you will fall. The idea of returning means you had to fall away. To return, you had to go. And we know that Peter, when he denies the Lord, he runs out and he weeps bitterly. And I'll tell you, I think he struggled also with the same suicidal thoughts that ultimately hit Judas. And it was on Peter, and there's something about it, but the Lord says, but I prayed for you. And when you return, and I, this is how I hear it. When you return to me, listen, on the other side of your failure, when you come home where you belong, listen to me. I almost said, look, look at me. You strengthen your brothers. You strengthen them. You, you bring strength to your brothers you come back, you remember, and you strengthen. Because you are going to need everything that, every, everything that you're going to need right now that I'm praying for. It's going to get you through this. But when you come through this, don't forget. Let this influence and affect the way in which you strengthen one another, your brothers in Christ. I mean, it's a powerful, dynamic moment and a reminder that there is going to be opposition. There are going to be times when the Lord is, if the Lord prayed for us, for, for Peter, does that not mean that there are times when we're also going to pray for one another? And then thirdly, here it is. 
it illustrates for us the power of support. Because guess what? None of us can do this right on our own. It doesn't work. It cannot work. Jesus said, they, Jesus, when Jesus sends them out, you know how he, say, he doesn't say, okay, you know what, guys? Each one of you go that one way, and you come all back and report to me. He says, no, what? You go out, but you go out two by two. There are situations, because again, I mean, you look at it. When, when, when Moses is, he's got, he's up there on the mountain. He's a strong man, a man of God. He gets weak. He can't do it anymore. They say, don't worry, we're going to get you a rock. And they get a rock for him. And they say, you sit on that rock. You just keep those hands up. Oh, I'm getting tired. You, I will hold the hands up. We'll hold your hands up. We all need people at times. We will need others to hold our hands and to roll a rock underneath us. Because not, I don't care, none of us, no matter how strong we are, not in this spiritual life, we're not strong enough. There will be times when we will need other people. Two, the Bible says this, woe to that one who, who is alone when they fall. Two is better than one. Threefold cord, not easily broken. Jesus built a small group. He starts his church with a small group. It has a relationship. It has accountability. It has a support system. Because we are, this, this thing, it, the way it's framed, the way it's set up this, at a spiritual dynamic, it requires community and support of one another. Because there are times where, no matter how strong we are in the Lord, where our faith weakens. There are times where we are crumbling under the weight. We're like, I got nothing. I got nothing left. I, I can't. My legs are weak. I can't even stand up. I need you to help me. There are times where oh, I can't do it anymore. I got nothing left. I got nothing left in me. And in those times, don't worry. I got, we got you. We've got you. You are not alone. We can do this. God is with us. We will prevail. Come on. We can do this together in the Lord's power, by his strength, by his grace. I love that because it's a reminder to me that this Christian life of ours is designed to be built not in isolation. It doesn't work right if we really want to get better, if we really want to grow, if we really want to break through, if we really want to redefine generational pain and turn it into generational blessing, we'll take seriously this principle and build and do the hard work of connecting with one another, get ourselves involved, build relationships with people who can hold our arms and also listen, whose arms we can hold up when we're weak. They're weak, we hold. We hold together in the Lord. We do what is right. What do I mean? What is right in God's eyes. We don't take the easy way out. We don't fall back into patterns of destructive behavior. We seek to honor God. Last thing I'll say, last PowerPoint, is this, that this power of the banner, right? This power of the banner of the Lord. And as I think about this, the power of his banner, just hold with me on this. Think about what, this is what I'm saying. When Moses, okay, the standard that they, uh, every army had a standard. They had a, a banner. Uh, it's true, today we, we have flags. And a flag represents a nation. In fact, when people are in the Olympics, they, they'll carry a flag. They always have someone leading with a flag, right? And then in military days, they would have someone who would carry the standard. It could be the regiment's flag, the regiment's banner. And in fact, I remember last year when we were, and think about the iconic figure of, of Iwo Jima, where they're holding the flag, the banner, the standard. But then there's also, I was thinking about this, last year, my family and I, in the summer, we went to, to Gettysburg in Pennsylvania. And Gettysburg, of course, is where the, the great battle of Gettysburg was, was fought, and it was, and it was the, what occasioned Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. But on that battlefield, which is an amazing national park, you can visit, it's, 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 they've done a, a tremendous job. But one of the things is almost like the ground speaks and, and, and it was in the, there was a certain spot where they, the, what is known as Pickett's Charge occurred. And there's this, this charge of, of the final charge of just the, 
the, the, the men running to the battle, and, and it was just in a, the field was filled with blood. It was a pivotal moment in the history of the Civil War in 1863, July 1 through 3, that battle. But on that battlefield, uh, they, people will reenact it. There are these moments where someone is, you can, it, it shows it vividly, someone's running with the standard. You, and you see in films, you can always say, someone's carrying the flag, someone's carrying the flag. And then, then and boy, it's not a good thing to be the guy carrying the flag. I've realized that. You, know, you don't want to be the guy with the flag. You're not going to be here long if you're the guy with the flag. But you'll find, but in that church, people will take it, another person, he'll fall, and another one will pick it back up. And as long, and they keep going. And that, it's important, that, that standard, that banner goes with them. And finally, it, it ended, it just short. But the, the point being here is that image, that image of the banner, the standard, the representation of that unit, of that nation, of that people. Here's the deal. What does Moses do? <laughs> what does Moses do? Moses says, look, we're building all, because in, what was the Israel's banner? What was their symbol? What was, the closest thing they had was maybe that rod. That's, that they, when they looked up, they saw Moses with the rod. But you know what Moses said? Listen, he goes, this is not our symbol. This is not our banner. He builds an altar and he says, this, this, this will be called Yahweh Nasi. And you know what that means? The Lord is our banner. Not this, the Lord is our banner. That is our flag. That is our flag. God's power. And I was reminded of this beautiful verse. It's the last one we'll share here today. Uh, Song of Solomon. The Shulamite woman says this. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me is love. When I was a boy in Sunday school, I remember learning the song. He brings me to his banqueting table. His banner over me is love. It's about being invited into relationship and having the Lord's love in our lives, flying like a flag over our lives. And I'll never forget that imagery. And I thought, man, his banner over us is love. The, in the end, it is the love of God, the power of his love at work in us that is the secret to strength. Listen, obedience and fear are powerful, but love is stronger than death. That's what the Bible says. And may God's love fill our lives. May God's love be a banner over our lives. May it be real to us. And may we love him even, even as he has first loved us and with a love that is sacrificial and true. And, and, and may the love of the Lord be real to us in the days of our lives. Because listen, it's not a sprint. The Christian life is not a sprint. And the reward doesn't go to the gifted. It's Jesus said, he that endures, she that endures, the, the one that endures to the end, this is the way. Run, Paul says, run this race with patience that is set before you. It's about adjustments. It's about getting past things. It's about forgiving, being forgiven. It's about getting up when we fall. It's about not quitting. It's about the long haul. I will follow you, the psalmist says, all the days of my life. This journey. It's not how fast we can run at the beginning. It's staying with it and learning to grow. I've watched a lot of sprinters not make it. May God give us grace. Lord. I pray that you would teach us how to do this well. As we prepare to close the service out, as we think about this, and the, and the song is going to blaze out there, that our strength is in you. And this song will be a closing charge to us to stay strong and to not be afraid of things nor to waver in our commitment to you. But I pray that as we, as we ponder these words, as we move into the, the rest of our day, really in the rest of our week and in the weeks ahead, I ask you, Lord, to teach us to be people who can contend for growth, expansion in our lives, for character development, Lord, to not give up when the way is hard, to not quit when we feel that there are questions that are not being adequately answered 
by you for us, but to teach us how to have a faith in the one who gave everything for us, whose presence is real and whose love endures from the generation to generation. I pray that you would establish your banner in our lives, that the banner of the Lord would fly, as it were, over the citadel of our very heart, that you would fly over us, Lord, that the love of God would prevail in our lives. And we just welcome you, Lord, to do this. We pray that you'd bless this closing minute, these closing minutes as we end with this song and our time of giving. May we honor you together as a people in our tithes and offerings, but in all things, Lord, we ask that you would just continue to work in our lives. I pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>